Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Redemption, a novel by Ian Prattis, who joins me from Ontario, Canada, actually the uh, capital of Canada, Ottawa, I believe. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much for having me on your program. I have discovered from talking with you that you are not a novelist in the, the, in, in the sense that it's uh, something new that you've done. You have published or written over 14 works. This one, Redemption, was a lost manuscript from 1974-75. You discovered it and decided, hey, this isn't so bad. I think I'll publish it. Tell us about the background of Redemption. Well, I, I wrote this in, in, in 1975. Um, and at that time, I didn't not I didn't know how to get published. So after quite a few rejections, I just let it slide, and I forgot about it until the spring of 2011. I was looking in an old filing cabinet for something else, and I found this yellowing manuscript, and I read it through. And I was simply astonished. I couldn't believe it was like, who on earth wrote this? Um, and I got my wife and a few friends with critical eyes to have a look at it to see if I was dreaming. One friend mused about the film to be made. Another cried all the way through. Mm. And this kind of convinced me to bring it to life. And apart from typos and uh, spelling errors and uh, a few adjustments with the wisdom of hindsight, um, it stands as pristine as when it was first written in 1975. Incredible story just on its own, just on its own merits, the fact that you well, rediscovered yes, it. It's got its own, its own emergent story. <laughs> yes. Uh, the cover shows a gentleman near a body of water, looks like an outdoorsman, and the title Redemption. What does the title sig signify to you and to the uh, reader? It, what it signifies is that, you know, no matter how dire the circumstances, um, if we can touch some form of spiritual awakening through our hard life's journey or through um, spiritual practice of one kind or another, we can come through. Um, in, in the book, what we have is a, a hero's journey. There's a, the main character is Callum Moore, who was a gifted child, a master mariner, a derelict drunk, and he finally gains wisdom from a hard life's journey. And he basically, his failings and his misery are conquered when he allows a glimmer of awakening to come into his life, when he saves the life of a young girl, and he really comprehends the fragility and beauty of human existence. So it's by redemption is that, okay, no matter how hard things seem to be, we have this option of awakening in a, in a spiritual manner so that we just become the fullest that we can be rather than the smallest. Your a book, your novel, your story is set in the Hebrides off the northwest coast of Scotland. Uh, how did you choose that setting at, uh, I would say, a younger age? You don't look old up 
apologize for uh, accounting you as not being an old guy, but 1975 is a while back. You had some maturity in this writing. That's right. No, I, I used to um, live there. I had a, 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 a business going, and I was flitting to the Hebrides backwards and forwards from Canada, and I was trying to keep a marriage going in the Hebrides and also my academic career at Carleton University in Ottawa, and I wasn't doing a very good job with either. And in the story, um, the, the, the main character, Callum Moore, um, he does have a, a gifted childhood, but then a whole series of tragedies cause him to snap and he kind of withdraws from society. And what I'm describing in the book is a form of mental illness and alcoholism, depression, whereby this, this uh, character just simply withdrew from society. And it was only taking care of his animals that kept him this side of sanity. So it, although it's not an autobiography, it's an allegory for the difficulties I went through some 40 years ago. So there's cycles of maturing and downfall, and then redemption coming through, in a, simply because there's, there's an, a, an awakening, a spark of awakening, that puts things in perspective. Ian, as you uh, recount or tell this story, would you refer to it as an adventure novel, or is it character-driven? What is the, the purpose it, of it, how it's it, written? It, it's both. It's, it's quite a stunning adventure. Um, but it, it's it, it, it's both. It, it's about a particular character, and uh, follows a a hero's journey. Um, you know, and what, what what does he find from this hard life? He finds a glimmer of um, awakening, which enables him to not just change himself, but to change all those around him. There must be an un yeah, must be an underlying message. Uh, you, you have mentioned about the redemption and uh, and the, I guess, awakening to spiritual things. Is that the underlying message that you're wanting the reader to take away, or just happened to appear as you were rereading this book, this book that you had penned in 1975? I think the latter is more correct. Um, I, I didn't write it with that in mind, but that was that was the kind of a, a screenplay behind the writing. Um, I think the the real message is that um you know that, that I see now from from 40 years after writing it that if you've got the inner strength and resilience you can conquer mental illness and alcoholism um and that statement is is huge in today's society because nearly 50 million adults in North America suffer from some form of depression um and I believe that the power of inner strength can help these wounded people overcome um, the abyss that they've entered. But that's something I see now. I didn't really have that in mind when I was writing it. Was I, it I just kind of wrote it. Was it therapeutic at the time, do you think? I think so. I think so. For, for me, it was, it was an essential part of, of my journey. Um, I didn't realize I'd have to wait 40 years <laughs> before it would see the light of day. So, but it's really an allegory for the depression and difficulties that I once experienced. Although when I was writing it, I didn't realize that. I do from looking back at it from 40 years later. 
You mentioned a couple of times, at least alluded to, the fact of a movie script or a movie idea, concept, script, uh, play. Do you see that as a possibility in the future? Has anyone looked at it that may find it of interest to, for either a, a movie of the week or a, an actual movie? No, I, I think uh, a screenplay is being crafted. Um, several of my friends um, who, who, whose critical eyes I trust have said, hmm, you've got to think about the character to play, to play the, the main person because this, this is a movie. Um, and it reads like a, an extended prose poem. Um, and this was one surprise uh, when, when I found this manuscript. I couldn't believe the, the poetic way I had constructed words into sentences. It, 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 it's like reading a very long poem, only mm. in prose form. And it describes the, the vagaries of, of nature, the human nature, as well as um, the natural forces of, of sea, wind, gale, and all the rest of it. It's fascinating by any uh, stretch of the imagination to be impressed or surprised or pleasantly uh, revived from looking at some of the things you've done in your past, and this one turned out to be a very fine piece of work. Yes, I, I, I was surprised. There's, there's some wonderful uh, testimonials to it, uh, um, an international harp artist by the name of Lucille Hildesheim talks about it as a great work of art that touches the heart and is a book to read over and over again. So, you know, I, I, I put that in the, in, in the book so that people can see, okay, there's international folks that kind of like this piece of work. You've gotten excited or motivated as a creative guy to also produce something for YouTube that gives a little insight into the book, have you not? That's right. Yeah, there's a there's a YouTube video just just under the name Redemption, which uh, in 42 seconds really captures the the essence of of what I'm trying to do. Um, but I really realize, and again, I must say that this is not something I thought about um, 40 years ago when I was writing this. And I, I, I wrote it all in, in longhand. Um, but this, this really is hitting on something very important. It's like the triumph of the human spirit over things like mental illness, depression, and alcoholism. The, the, the human spirit is strong enough to come back and continue one's life without sort of just uh, drowning in the in the illness or the alcoholism or the depression. Yes. So I, I think it I think it has something to to say very clearly to to our modern society where we have, as I said before, in North America, approximately 15 million adults are suffering from some form of mental illness and depression. Well, that's an important topic and certainly uh, so. contemporary. Need, so. need need those uh, those insights. Is there a particular scene that you think is going to grab the reader and hold their attention more than others in the book? Yeah, I think the the, the passage um, in a later chapter where he goes out in a blizzard to find a, a small child that he's befriended, and uh, he does find her, and he saves her life um, because there's a, there's a sheep sheltering in the same cave, 
and he sort of kills the sheep and gets it and cleans out the innards to place the small child inside for warmth. Hmm. And while he's sitting there with his coat and jacket loosely around him to, to, to stay alive, his whole life goes before him. And what occurs during this uh, kind of very... The best way I can describe it, a very deep ride into himself, all his self-contempt and guilt about what he had allowed himself to become falls away and compassion takes over. And this is the beginning of his awakening. So I think that's one of the the uh, kind of highlights of the book in terms of, of impact. But there's also a, a previous passage where he, which is just called Winter, um, and this is like the, the, the winter of his life where he parts company from society and survives in a bleak solitude. And the only thing that brings him out is this family with his little girl that uh, sort of uh, adopt him um, in that they, they don't give up in terms of uh, uh, interacting with him. And he slowly steps away from his self-destruction. That's fascinating imagery that you've just described. Is that something that you personally observed, or was this something from your imagination? A bit of both. Uh, remember, this is a novel. Yes. So, 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 so it is fiction. So, some of it is based on, on you know, what I've, what I've experienced and thought about. Others, other parts of it, um, majority is, is imagination. It, it is, uh, it is a novel. So that's why I use the word allegory. Right. It is not an autobiography, but if I hadn't gone through such a difficult time um, 40 years ago, I don't think I could have written this in the way that I did. But, take, but it is not an autobiography. To take a couple of sentences or paragraphs and introduce this to my readers or to my listeners and let them know why they should get a copy of Redemption. Well, oh, how can I do this? Um, what I would say this is, is this, is that the greatest gift one can be given is that of finding one's true nature. The human spirit is resilient and can triumph over tragedy and psychological dependence. My new novel is an allegory for depression and life difficulties that I once experienced. The novel is set off the northwest coast of Scotland, and it illuminates startling cycles of maturing and downfall experienced by the book's main character, a man called Callum Moore. <clears throat> he was a gifted child, a master mariner, derelict drunk, who finally gains wisdom from a hard life's journey. So this character is epic, and he takes the reader on a deep hero's journey, and his failings and misery are ultimately conquered when he saves the life of a young girl comprehends the fragility and beauty of human existence, and he steps into his own awakening. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. <laughs> our author, our guest, has been novelist Ian Prattis. The title of the book, Redemption. Ian, where can my listeners get copies of this novel? Um, on my website, ianprattis.com. <clears throat> also on the Amazon website, and the Barnes & Noble website, as well as the publisher's website, exlibris.com.
So there's four websites they can access. They can also do a search uh, under my, your my, mine our name. Is more interesting. I will. Yes. <laughs> they also can do a search under your name, Other Ian I A N, and last name Prattis, P R A T T I S. They can do a search that way and also discover right. other things that you've written. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your insight into the story and the uh, wonderful imagery in the novel Redemption. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for having me. For Ex Libris on Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. And joining me from Colorado is author William Brin. Bill, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thank you. This has an unusual, sort of a slightly cynical title, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Where did that title come from? And tell us about the background story. Why did this book get written? Well, the title is, uh, it's a, I, I believe, a pretty well-known phrase about uh, people that uh, do a good deed and then uh, through no fault of theirs, something uh, in the background uh, happens to, to almost make them regret doing it. You know, I, I thought it was a very appropriate uh, title for a book about a guy that does something for someone and then uh, ends up being the uh, recipient of a, of a bad deed in return. And um, my idea for the story was just that, uh, you know, that this guy would do something and through no fault of his, uh, something else happens in the background that almost makes him regret doing it. Your main character, that's Mike Grissom, correct? Yes. And who is Mike? You have a background as being involved in the airline industry as a, an air traffic controller, instructor, some of those other areas. Am I understanding your personal background? Yes, that's correct. How does yes. Mike fit into this? Um, Mike is uh, he's, he is a um, computer animation uh, person. Um, I, I did put a lot of uh, little references to aviation and air traffic control in the book. But um, they're just in passing little uh, little things that I thought uh, you know, added to my feel for the book. Um, Mike isn't involved in uh, aviation at all. Um, I just wanted him to be a uh, professional um, working in a an up and coming industry, 
somewhat artistic, um, but you know, a lot of technical. Um, he, he had to have a good technical background too, so I just wanted him to be a somewhat rounded character. And and what? Uh, where does the story take place? This is uh, your background. You have spent a lot of your career in Colorado. Was uh, Mike from Colorado, or where was he from? Well, originally he was from the Chicago area, which is where I grew up. Uh, I was uh, I, I lived in Chicago, the uh, suburbs, till I was in my twenties, and then I moved out west uh, to both Utah and Colorado, and. Um, the story takes place actually in uh, Southern California, the Los Angeles area, in uh, 1999. Um, I um, I've been to Southern California a lot of times. Uh, my wife worked there back in the 70s and the 80s, or she at least lived there back in the 70s and the 80s. We've been uh, we've been there a lot, and uh, I wanted to place it there because um, the, one of the uh, supporting characters is uh, in the uh, entertainment industry, but um, as far as my background, well, um, uh, you know, I'm in Colorado now, but I wanted it to be there because um, that that's just about what fit right for the story that I wanted to write. Your other character, Veronica Lang, who is Veronica? Uh, Veronica is an actress. Um, uh, she's been involved in... Uh, uh, movies, TV shows. Um, th- these are people that are in their late twenties, and um, uh, she's an actress who's been. She starred on a couple of shows, and uh, she was in the process of getting married in a couple of weeks, and her fiance backed out of it. Hmm. The book, as you've written it, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, would you describe it as an action thriller? Is it uh, personality-driven or character-driven? What would your descriptive be of your of your novel? To me, it's a character-driven, um, kind of an edgy, romantic dramedy. It's uh, about, mainly about two people, but there is a supporting cast that just adds a lot of color to it. And um, it, it's more than just the two main characters, but... Uh, it's a lot of what goes on between them, not so much the romantic part, but a lot of the relationship of getting to uh, know each other and um, being able to um, uh, forgive, uh, being able to get the courage to do something uh, with uh, someone. And, um, yeah, it's... uh, are there other authors that, that you have uh, tr- not tried to emulate necessarily, because I know putting your own stamp of uh, style on there is important, but are there other authors that you, you hope that you'll be compared to? Um, actually, no, I can't think. I, I've read a lot of fiction. I've read a lot of nonfiction. But this was just something that I wanted to do in the style that that I felt comfortable with. Um to me, it was almost a movie in my head, and so I was writing these these uh, little scenes as I'd go go through, and um, it, it was more of my own personal style, the way I talk, the way I like to um, tell stories to friends, to uh, anybody that uh, you know, coworkers, whatever. But um, I can't say I was trying to emulate any particular author. Well, it's good to be a unique individual. Uh, describe the creative process for my listeners, if you will. How did you get started 
the first page, the first uh, first word as a Boeing 737 lifted off runway 25 at Denver International Airport. How did that phrase come to you, and how did you begin your novel? Well, actually, I didn't begin it at the beginning. Uh, the original idea for the novel came to me from, I had, I had a picture of someone in my head. Uh, actually, I had seen pictures of, the, uh, of this character, and uh, I just started to think about what it would be like to know this person, this, this woman, and just some of the things that uh, would have been interesting. You know, I actually started thinking about the scenarios in the middle of it, in the middle of the novel, and the way that I write is um, I just start picking little pieces all over the place and inserting them in um, something in a way of uh, just uh, building a house where you work on one thing at a time and, you know, one thing just kind of builds on another. But I didn't, I didn't actually start at the beginning and write it through. Um, the part about the, uh, taking off from runway 25 at Denver, I, I wanted something to uh, um, set the tone of what was going to happen. And being in the Denver area, familiar with the airport, and knowing how the uh, story was going to play out, I wanted something where people would get an idea that uh, something devious is going to happen. And it just seemed like a good way to start it. This uh, novel, because you mentioned that it has to do with relationships, and uh, I will use the word touchy-feely stuff, uh, is okay. this a, a novel that's going to be a chick novel, or is this going to appeal to a wider audience? You know, I was trying to stay away from it just being chick-lit. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when uh, you know, in, in uh, talking to uh, the, my publisher and uh, editors, I was trying to stay away from it just being a romance novel or a romantic comedy or anything like that. I wanted it to be more about the relationship between these two people, but a lot of the background, a lot of the, uh, the friends that they have that, uh, you know, friends with good intentions, but bad advice. You know, they tell right. them things about the other person that, that they don't understand, and uh, it, 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 these uh, friends, they, they really want something good for the people they know, but they don't know the full story. So um, I, I was trying to make it appeal to adults, both um, men and women, who would be interested in a story like this. I tried very hard to stay away from it just being a romance novel. I sort of thought that might be the direction you had taken, but I was just curious because you had used that phrase or had given that impression that there was a lot of uh, interaction, uh, emotional interaction between your characters. Uh, as you completed this, is there any theme or underlying story that came through? Well, you know, um, there are a couple of themes that I was looking at. <clears throat> One of them is uh, the, the idea of getting the courage to do something when you know you've done something wrong. Uh, the, you know, you have to fix it if it's something really important to you. Um, there are times when doing nothing is just not an option, and when you realize that, that you've done something wrong, then you have to go fix it. Um, the, uh, the courage to do that, the courage to forgive someone who has, who has wronged you um, if, if it's important to you, if, uh, if the 
reason that they did it was by mistake. Uh, you just have to be able to uh, look at the situation and see if, if this is the best thing for you and, and to be able to, to uh, uh, accept an apology. Um, another thing I was looking at is, you know, staying away from regret for the rest of your life. Um, you know, there are things that we've done in our lives that I'm sure that, you know, everybody would, would um, can, can probably think of something that they would have done differently. You can't change it, but you, you, you learn from uh, past experiences that, if you don't want to have that regret, maybe you have to take a chance on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes the uh, the results could be actually quite good. There must be at least one or two scenes that will jump out and grab the reader's attention. In your mind, what are those? One of them that I can think of is when uh, Veronica, who um, known to her friends as Ronnie, uh, she goes to the hospital. And uh, Mike's there. He's just uh, done a really good deed for somebody. He saved someone, and he's in the hospital, and he's uh, laying in bed. He's asleep, and his neighbor, who is always trying to set him up with her friends, his married neighbor is always trying to set him up with her friends, uh, is there. And Ryan comes into the, Veronica comes into the uh, hospital room, and uh, Stephanie, the neighbor, just asks her, what are you doing here? Oh, of course, she it a little bit more forcefully than that and um, you know there's a, a bit of a confrontation there and uh, uh, Ronnie turns around and she ends up leaving because she just has this regret about what she did and she gets down to the uh, entrance to the hospital and then something changes in her mind and she takes care of the problem and that's one of them um, another one is um, there is a uh, scene where, um, I don't know if I should be giving away all this information, but there's a scene where um, Veronica uh, shows up at uh, Mike's place with another guy, and he's invited her over for dinner, um, and she's, he, she asked if she could bring a friend, um, and, but he isn't quite expecting the display that she puts on uh, for him, and uh, it's, it's disheartening to him to, to see that uh, how she uh, acts to him, and uh, it's all because she had a communication mix-up with a friend of hers, mm. and she thinks that he lied to her. So I'm seeing um, movie of the week. That's what you've described to me. It sounds like there's a movie in your future. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yes, actually, <laughs> I, I I have this in my mind as a as a movie. I mean, it, it, that's what it played in my mind as I was writing it. Um, I've never written a novel before, and so to expand on what's in my mind it was a, a real, um, a real experience for me. Well, Bill, how long so, did it take to finish your book? Um, it took not quite uh, oh, about two and a half years. Two and a half years. And is there something else on the horizon? Are you planning a follow-up book or a sequel to this one? Not a sequel, but I have a couple of things that I'm working on. One of them, I'm, well, one of them I put on the back burner when I got this idea idea for this uh, other story that I'm writing. So, yeah, it it, it, it opened the floodgates for me. <laughs> I could actually try and do this, and, and uh, uh, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the result that I got, but now I'm trying something else. It's not along the same lines as you know a happy uh, happy ending type of thing, but. Uh, I think it's a good story. 
Congratulations on completing this one and getting it out to the public. The title again is No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Our author, who has joined me from Colorado, William Brin, B-R-I-N-N, if you're doing a search online. Bill, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Well, they can get it off Ex Libris, uh, my publisher, and uh, it is available on Amazon, and I noticed that it's available through uh, uh, bookstores also, as far as uh, e-books, and uh, you can order it, uh, they can order it too, but it is Amazon and Ex Libris are the two that uh, come up. And are you developing a website to share your other ideas? Haven't done a website yet. I am considering it. Um, I am available on Facebook, um, and uh, that's uh, no, I don't have a, a website yet. A lot of my authors will uh, develop a web page or would develop a fan page on Facebook, and that's a good way to keep in touch with you. Again, William Brin, B-R-I-N-N, has been my guest. The title of the book, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Lead Truly, The 33 Basics to Achieve True Leadership. And the author is Patrick Gonya. And Patrick joins us now on Ex Libris on Air. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you with us all the way from Switzerland and you really live and breathe this. That's why I guess you call it lead truly. I mean, this is what has made you who you are today by focusing on these kinds of leadership principles. Yes, absolutely, Steve. Um, I've actually developed over the years uh, some core values and some core principles that I strongly believe in. And um, it's uh, really a... Uh, a story uh, that matured over time because I first had the idea of something like this when I was at university and that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> so with my professional experience and private experience in addition to my um, uh, education at university, well I put everything together in a book that uh, has the title Lead Truly the 33 Basics to Achieve True Leadership and uh, it's like uh, uh, what I'm giving to people from my own experience and my own education at uh, age 48. 
Now, is this just for CEOs or business people? Well, I'd like to make that clear. It's not only for CEOs and business people or business students in business schools. And that's a big difference from main, uh, all the other uh, main books on leadership that you will find on the market. There's plenty of authors on leadership and books available um, in North America especially, but also in Europe and in Asia. But uh, most authors are, are American or some Canadian as well. But I've tried a, a new approach and a new angle here. I've tried to uh, make leadership simple, you know, appro uh, approachable for and un and could be so that it could be understood by most people, by most men and women, whatever their education is, and most importantly, whatever their their profession is. Uh, main authors have talked about leadership and uh, written of, about leadership. Uh, with CEOs in mind or politicians or military uh, leaders in mind. But I wrote this really with uh, all active men and women around the world in mind, tried to help them develop skills and qualities that will allow them to rise as leaders or better leaders if they're already leaders, to rise as better leaders in their professional and private lives. Well, your book is kind of a workbook in a sense because you give a basic rule. I'm looking at your book right now, and then you have a, an area for notes. So as a person studies like this basic rule number one, and I'll, this is the title of it, lead your way, achieve what you want, conquer, then afterwards there's this uh, section for notes that, that you can you know, put down what you're feeling as you ponder the things that you are teaching here. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's basically an educational book. So I had active men and women in mind, and not only grown-ups, but also young uh, teenagers, uh, boys or girls at school at a young age, as from, for example, you know, like 12, 15 years old. Uh, they start developing dreams and aspirations of what they want to be in life, and... Uh, uh, there's uh, some very simple leadership uh, pr practices or principles that can help them too at a very young age to uh, fulfill their dreams or uh, become leaders at a young age. You can see uh, teenagers already today uh, in the world rising in, uh, in different professions. Uh, in sports, for example, they become champions younger at a younger and younger age and uh, at that age, it's crucial to have some guidelines or principles that you can uh, hold on to and um, have in mind to develop your leadership already at that age. This basic rule number one, again, lead your way, achieve what you want, conquer. And that is probably, to a lot of people, they might say, I can't get what I really want, but you're advocating that you can. You can achieve what you want. I truly believe indeed that uh, all men and women or young and adults uh, have potential. Everybody, I truly believe in humankind and in the potential of every human, single human being. I'm not going to say that uh, everybody can rise as top leaders or presidents or uh, generals in the army or uh, CEOs in, in big multinational corporations. But you can become a leader in other fields. And you can also become a leader in your private life, in a better life. 
and uh, to have a better life and um, it is achieve what you want in the in the in the first principle achieve what you want is truly uh, what I think is possible for everybody of course if you set a goal too high well you're not going to be able maybe to achieve it and that's another rule in my book just a little further some pages further further down it's uh, rule number three you have to uh, lead and act with a clear vision and clear goals and clear priorities and a clear plan and that has to be based also on your um, on your skills, on your talent, uh, and that's rule number two. It's lead and act and develop and maximize your talent, your skills, your knowledge, what you're really made for. You can't achieve something that you're not made for. That's really an important point. Uh, it's rule number two uh, that's, that says that you really have to stick on on your own skills, on your own strengths, on your own talent, and develop and maximize that. And if you do that, I truly believe you can achieve what you're meant for and what you truly can lead in. Is there a reason that there are 33 basic rules? Where did 33 come from? Well, that's an interesting question, and uh, it's a little bit, uh, I will say honestly, it's a little bit by uh, total chance that I got on 33. I just started writing my book without any number of rules in mind, but um, I developed the first five rules and first ten rules, and I put them in a precise order that makes sense, and the order is very important uh, to, to go one after each other and not to mix them up. And I came then to 15, 20 uh, rules, and I wasn't done that, and done that yet, sorry. And um, while well, I just came to 33 uh, by chance, and I stuck to 33 uh, just for one reason, because I um, have some uh, knowledge in numerology, and in numerology, 33 is what you call a master number, which is an important, uh, which is a number that allows people or has a significance of great, real, uh, great achievements. So I'm just. Uh, thinking and hoping that numerology will help people with 33 rules uh, to achieve great things. I want to emphasize that again that this is for everyone not just for the business minded person the CEO type the analytical person uh, this is for uh, everyone from all walks of life and you've made it so it's uh, simple practical because it comes down to like a one page basic rule that you can study and ponder and it's this whole book is under 90 pages yeah you're totally right Steve that uh, was uh, one of my goals and it's uh, actually written on the, one of the last pages of the book I really wrote this book with the uh, KISS principle in mind which is keep it short and simple you know, there's plenty of leadership books on the market, and they're 300 pages, 400 pages, 500 pages long. It's very nice. It's very good, and I I, I uh, have a lot of admiration for these uh, great uh, authors on leadership who have developed great theories and great explanations of in details on, on hundreds of pages of how to become a, a great leader. But you know, the problem with books that long is that it's 
really long to write, to read and people have less and less time to read in this complex and fast world we're living in and second of all when it's so long you really get to the last page and you wonder well what am I going to keep of all this what am I actually going to keep of these 500 pages let's say and use on a daily basis and that's a whole other exercise that uh, starts once you've read such books like the, those so I try to make it simple, short and simple, under 100 pages. It's even under it's it's under 90 pages, and to I made a lot of efforts to just to try to um, uh, uh, create the rules right and in a precise order that uh, can allow you to develop your leadership skills in all areas or all profession po professions possible in life like you were saying it's for any walk of life and that's really was an important part of my of writing the book it was a great challenge because I don't know any other book that tries to do that and um, like you were saying before I mean most books on leadership were made for CEOs or politicians or military leaders and these rules that I've put together really apply to any kind of profession or activity or walk of life um, in the world today in the 21st century. So I'm thinking of people who want to rise as leaders in sports and become champions if they have talent and skills in certain sport. I really uh, encourage uh, young people to train and train and develop their skills and become champions if that's what they're meant to be. It's you become a champion in the world. You're a great leader. I mean, there's uh, champions like, well, I'm Swiss, so I'm going to mention our our top Swiss athlete, Roger Federer. Most people have probably heard about the. He's set the record of the greatest uh, um, Grand Slam titles of all times, and he's he's really a great leader. I mean, he, I, I for me. Uh, it's not only because I'm Swiss, it's just uh, admiration for for the man he is. He also leads some humanitarian, humanitarian actions, and he's a great leader. You can also become a leader in the arts. Uh, you can, if you think of lead actors or lead um, entertainers, uh, that's, that's a great way to be a leader too. If you have the talent, the skills to, do, to become a, a star, or um, a great artist in, 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 let's say, painting or in, uh, in, in another art, in writing as an author, well, just go for it and do it. Don't think that leadership is limited to becoming a CEO in a multinational corporation or becoming a, polit a lead politician. Patrick, in the time we have left, talk to us about basic rule number four. We all hear about positive attitude. We all hear about passion. But it's right at the very top, isn't it? I mean, it's rule number four. It's one of your first things in your 33 basic rules because if you can't get up with a smile on your face and determination in your heart, you're probably not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Yeah, Steve, you're absolutely right. This is rule number four, and it's um, among the, the most important rules that um, I've actually... Um, made a lot of research before writing this book and 
it turns out that a lot of leaders in 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 the in the modern times in the 21st century or 20th century or in recent in recent times they it's it's a clear feature of their of their one of their qualities is that they have this drive that keeps them going despite the obstacles despite the problems despite the hard times they keep really a positive attitude whatever is thrown at them what life throws at them they just keep on with an inner drive that other people don't have and that's what i call lead and act with a positive attitude optimism enthusiasm motivation passion and also confidence will firmness assertiveness and authority it's 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 a mix of different qualities but it's going in the same direction it's this inner drive that you've got to have if you really want to rise as a leader or a better leader in your professional and your uh, private lives there's so many people that just get stuck on this issue uh, on a daily basis they, they have two big problems or there are two, two big obstacles in their lives that they can't overcome and that's what limits them and prevents them from becoming really to going to the next level and becoming really true leaders in their professional private lives the title of the book is lead truly the 33 basics to achieve true leadership patrick tell us the best way to get your book my book is available online on xlibris.com, amazon.com, and barnesnoble.com. Um, it might be available in some bookstores in the future. I'm working on it right now, but I can't tell you in which bookstores for the moment. And it's available, of course, uh, in North America and in Europe uh, from Xlibris and uh, uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's selling for $15 plus shipment. And um, you can also uh, check uh, out information on my profile if you're interested. Uh, you can find me on uh, with vi uh, presentation videos on YouTube.com and uh, on LinkedIn.com. You have my full profile as well and contact information whenever you're interested to uh, talking about something or interested in uh, uh, advice on leadership issues whether it's personal leadership, which is one of aspect of leadership, or people leadership, leading groups or teams, or thirdly, uh, organizational leadership, which is meant for top executives or CEOs running uh, big organizations in the world. The author is Patrick Gonya. He has been talking to us on Ex Libris On Air. Uh, Gonya spelled G-O-G-N-I-A-T. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you very much, Steve, and uh, I hope you all uh, enjoy uh, the book that I wrote and that it inspires you. The, the goal and the, the motivation I had was to inspire most people possible uh, all around the world, uh, men and women and young and adult people, teenagers or older people, uh, to become better leaders, and I hope uh, you will get inspired. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.